Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Luke, Luke chapter number two this morning. Luke and chapter two for our time together around God's word. Luke chapter number two, and while you're turning, if you're willing and able, stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter number two this morning, we're going to find our place in verse number eight. Luke chapter two and verse number eight. Luke chapter two, verse eight. If you don't have your Bible with you, there should uh, be one perhaps in the back of the seat in front of you, maybe in the back of the seat behind you, you'll find a copy of God's word. We'd encourage you to pick up that copy and follow along with us. Luke chapter 2. We're going to read verse number 8 all the way down to uh, verse number 20, all right? Verse 8 all the way down to verse 20. And here we begin. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in the manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. And it came to pass that as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste. They found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God. For all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Joy is a predominant theme at at Christmas. We say things like joy to the world. Joy is what the season is about. And while joy is a predominant Christmas theme... It is not the theme. Joy is predominant, yes, but joy 
is not the point. The point is what produces joy. The angels say to the shepherds, we bring you great joy. Not temporary pleasure, not fleeting happiness, but continuous, abiding joy. And the joy that the shepherds find is a contagious joy. But what causes their joy? And what caused their joy, is that available for us today? Is the kind of joy that the shepherds have in Luke 2, the kind of joy that you and I can have today? The answer is, of course, yes. If you'll look to the same place, the same person that they looked to for joy. So how do we, how do we find joy this Christmas? I'm going to look at that with God's help this morning. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, use your word in our lives. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together... Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Ways to find joy this Christmas. Ways to find joy this Christmas. I think there's five for you in your outline. We're going to walk through it right through the text. Look at verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. The angel of the Lord came upon them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them. They were sore afraid. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And so what we're seeing at the very beginning of this story is that joy is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Joy is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Now you need to hear me very clearly on this. Joy is not simply found in a person. Joy is not simply found in some person. Joy is not simply found in any person. Joy is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Joy is found in Jesus. The contagious, continual joy that the shepherds find is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Notice what the text says. And there were in the same country. Which, which of course means Bethlehem. Bethlehem was the place... ...where Jesus was to be born. If you, you'll remember, we, we took, a, we took a, a church trip to Israel a few years back now... ...and you'll remember leaving Jerusalem and driving over to those fields in Bethlehem... 
You remember going to the church of the nativity? You remember walking inside of those caves there in the side of those, of those Bethlehem hills? How many of you remember that when we, when we visited that? There was in the same country, he's saying. There was there in Bethlehem this person being born, the person of Jesus Christ. Now it's interesting because we have to consider this. Why, why, why born in Bethlehem? Why not born in Jerusalem, the, the religious capital of the world? Why not born in Rome, the political capital of the world? And quite, quite simply, the, the reason is because Micah, the prophet, prophesies some several hundred years before Jesus is born that the Messiah would be born in the Bethlehem. It's interesting because the word Bethlehem literally means the house of bread. It's interesting because Jesus says about himself, I am the bread of life. Eat of me and you will never hunger again. That deep, that deep longing that you have in your life can only be satisfied in me, Jesus says. There was in the same country... In Bethlehem, the house of bread, being born this person, Jesus, who is the bread of life. It's also interesting to note that Bethlehem was the city of David. Jesus comes from the lineage of David. Jesus is the one who's not just going to assume the kingdom, but Jesus is the one who is born king of the Jews. We've highlighted this every week in our Christmas series. Herod was appointed king. Jesus is born king. And that's the difference. Herod is made king because he'll do the political whims of Rome. Jesus is born king. He is, in fact, king of kings and lord of lords. Bethlehem because it's the city of David, but also... Bethlehem, because there are many people who believe that the lambs that were used for the sacrifices in the temple were kept. They were shepherded right here in the Bethlehem area. It could be that the shepherds that the angels delivered this message to, in fact, are the very shepherds that are keeping the sheep that will be used in sacrifice at the temple. Which of course is also appropriate about Jesus, isn't it? Because John the Baptist says about Jesus that Jesus is the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And Jesus would be that final Lamb, that final sacrifice would be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here are the shepherds in the same country keeping watch, notice, verse 8, keeping watch over their flock by night. If you had to make a list of the most boring jobs in the world, toll booth operator would have to be close to the top. Librarian would have to be close to the top. But I think shepherding would be at the absolute 
top. The life of the shepherd, in fact, was pretty boring. It's pretty routine. Now, we have all kinds of things in our imagination about shepherding because we know the stories of that, of that shepherd boy, David, and how he ran down a lion and he ran down a bear and he ran down a giant and, and all of these things, right? And, but, but most of, the, most of the, the reality for the shepherds wasn't, wasn't running down all of these, these enemies, these, uh, these predators in the night who were coming after the sheep. That wasn't really, that wasn't really a, a common experience for them. In fact, it's kind of used about David as, a, as being uncommon. Wow, David is a great warrior. He, he killed a lion. He killed a bear. This is, this is what he, he killed the giant. He, he killed all these things, right? And, and you, we use it about David in this way. It's actually, it's adding to his resume. This wasn't, this wasn't a part of their regular experience. In fact, you've never gone to the, to the zoo and seen sheep. You don't go to the zoo to, to watch the sheep do these aerobatic moves. You don't do this. You go to the zoo to see a polar bear. That's what you go to the zoo to see. Or you go to the zoo to see the flying monkeys. You go to the zoo to see that. We even have clubs. We have, we have bird watching clubs. You thought about that? People just go around, they just watch birds. You've never heard of a sheep watching club. You've never been invited to that. You know why? Because it's kind of boring. This is what's happening in the text. They're keeping their watch over the flock. Notice this. By night, some of you can't even stay awake this morning. These guys got to stay awake all night. Some of you are fighting. You've got the bobs. This number. Heads bobbing up and down like this. I can see you. I just want you to know that. You're going to come by at the end of the service. Great sermon, Pastor. You heard half of it. That's all you heard. Imagine trying to watch sheep all night. This is what they're doing. It's very routine. Can I tell you this? Most of, most of the Christian life is pretty routine. Most, most of the Christian life is pretty routine. We get up. We go through the same activities every day. Life is not meant to be lived as this one big experience to the other. It's pretty routine. And spend time in the morning with God in his word. Spend time with your family. Drop the kids off for school. Grab some lunch. Run some errands. Pick the kids up. Do some homework. Take the bath. Then to bed again. Most of the Christian life is pretty routine. It, it, some people, this is what gets them in trouble. Is because they, they, aren't, they aren't prepared for the routine. They, they, aren't, they aren't prepared for what one pastor referred to as long obedience in the same direction. Just doing the same thing, the right thing, every day, day after day, until we meet Jesus. Most people aren't ready for this. They aren't, most people aren't willing to do this. 
And so they go through their life searching for some kind of excitement, some kind of other thing in order to provide what they think is missing from their life. But listen, friend, God does not reward you and I for being spectacular or being awesome or being adventurous. No, when you stand in front of Jesus Christ, the reward is well done, good and faithful servant. God doesn't need you to be awesome. God needs you to be faithful. God doesn't need you to be spectacular. God needs you to be faithful. So just the, God isn't just asking this from you. This is what your husband needs from you, just faithful. This is what your wife needs from you, just faithful. This is what your kids need from you, just faithful. Just faithful. This is what your parents need from you. Just faithful. Here are the shepherds. In their, in their regular routine of watching sheep at night. And then they see something like they've never seen before. The Bible says this, verse 9. And the angel of the Lord came upon them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. It's interesting because every time an angel shows up in the Bible, you know what happens? People don't get shot by an arrow. That's not what happens. Not a little chubby baby angel with really small wings that are in no way appropriate to the size that the baby is that cause him to fly. That's not... Get out of your mind that angels are babies. That is not true. No, when angels show up in the Bible, you know what people do? They hit the ground. They get afraid. Imagine sitting on the side of this hill looking over some sheep, thinking what a, what a just routine day it is, listening to the other shepherd tell you the same story you've already heard before. Drinking a monster energy drink, trying to stay awake. Okay, they probably didn't have that. And then in the middle of this night, burst onto the scene, the angel of the Lord. And notice what he says. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And he comes to them. He comes to them with a message. Here's the message. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings. Notice this. Of great joy. This is the kind of God that we have. A God who breaks into our regular lives. The kind of God who breaks into the routine of our lives and says for us, I have great joy for you. I have for you joy. Joy, what Paul says, is unspeakable and full of glory. I'm not asking you today about your happiness. I'm asking you today about your joy. I'm not, I'm not asking you today if you're happy with the circumstances, how they have happened in your life for the last year. Happiness is always contingent on the circumstance. Happiness is contingent upon what is happening to you. So we're happy if what is happening to us is good or we think it's what we want. That's happiness. That's temporary. It's fleeting. It changes day to day, hour to hour, minute to minute. 
In fact, you could be happy right now, and by the end of the afternoon today, you could have received some kind of a news that would make you unhappy. Because now you don't like what's happening. And this is what most people understand as joy. Most people understand joy as happiness. But that is not what the Bible talks about joy. The Bible's joy is not regulated to what is happening in your life. No, he's offering to these shepherds something that is far above what is happening to them. He's offering to them joy, deep, abiding unspeakable, unmovable, always abounding, moving forward joy. And if you're here this morning, you're saying, Pastor, I would like that kind of a joy. Where can I find it? Notice he says to them where you can find it. Notice, for unto you, this great joy, it's for you. Verse 11, this great joy that I am bringing to you, it is for you. And here's where it is at. It is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Jesus came into this world for you. And when you realize that, when you realize that Jesus came into this world for you as a Savior, as, as the Christ, the Messiah... And when you realize he is, in fact, your Lord, he calls the shots of your life, then you realize that you are given something in the person of Jesus that you can never lose. Can never be taken away from you. Notice, he, notice Jesus is three things for you. Notice verse 11. Look at this. He's your Savior. He's Christ. He's Lord. He's three things for you. He's your savior. He came to save us from our sin. He came to rescue us from the penalty of our sin, which is the judgment of God on us. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible says. Everyone has sinned. You've sinned. I've sinned. The person sitting next to you is sinned. The Bible says we're all sinners. All we like sheep have gone astray. We all thought at one point or another we knew better than God on how our lives should go. On what we should do with our bodies. What we should do with our minds. What we should do with our free time. We all thought we knew better than God. And we ran from God. We're all sinners and the wages of sin, the cost of sin, the payment of sin, the Bible says, is death. The reason there is death is because of sin. Sin broke the world that we live in. The reason there's earthquakes and hurricanes and tornadoes and tsunamis is because of sin. It's the world that it's broken. How did it get broken? It got broken because of sin. And the cost of sin, the consequence of sin, the payment for sin, the, the wage of sin. The Bible, in fact, says is death. The reason you'll die, the reason I'll die, if God delays his coming, is because of sin. And yet the Bible says 
that Christ came into this world and died for our sins even while we were sinners. You need to hear this. It's very important that God does not wait for you to clean up your life in order to save you. He's not, he's not waiting for you to get some things religious right. He's not waiting for you to get some things in your family right. He's not waiting for you to kick some habit. He's not waiting for you to expunge some record. God is willing right now, right where you are, to save you from your sin. That's why Jesus came. Jesus knows everything there is to know about you. There's nothing that he does not already know. And knowing everything about you, he says to you this morning, if you will believe on me, I will save you from your sin. That's the greatest news in all of the world. You think about it. Most of the way that we do relationship with people is contingent on what we know or what we don't know about them. You, you might think about, about me. You say, wow, you know, Pastor, he's a nice guy. But you might not know that I have really stinky feet. So you may say, wow, Pastor, he, yeah, he's a really nice guy. I like him. I'm going to invite him over to my house for lunch. And so I come to your house for lunch. And we're going to sit down and have a great meal. And right before lunch, I kick, I kick off my shoes. I slide my feet right underneath your table. And then as we're eating, you start to smell something. You look at your junior high child because you assume first it's them. They tell you it wasn't them. You know, what pastor has stinky feet? You know, I thought he was a nice guy, but... He can't be a nice guy with such stinky feet. And so you finding out about me that my feet stink might end any hope of us having a relationship together. That's why I didn't ever take off my shoes when I was dating Amanda. I waited until we had the kiss at the wedding altar exchanged rings, made the covenant. Now I said, ha ha, I got stinky feet. <laughs> Too late now. I tricked her into marrying me in that way. That's what every husband has to do, trick his wife into marrying her. Why? I didn't want that to be a deal breaker. And this is how we, this is how we approach our relationship with God. We think that there's something about us that if God knows then he won't want to have a relationship with us. We think somehow if God finds out that we have stinky feet, let's say, that he won't love us or that he'll reject us. And so we think we have to clean up our lives in order to come to him first. No, friend, that's, that's called self-righteousness. That's what that's called. That's called self-righteousness. No, God knows everything there is to know about you. He created you. He's omniscient and looking over you. There's nothing about your life that he is not already aware of. And in the scripture, it says he is willing even still 
to receive you to himself and save you from your sins if you would believe on him. In fact, you could argue that to the degree that you understand this about God, the more secure you are in your relationship with God. You see, there are some Christians who always walk around and they're on eggshells with God thinking that if they do the wrong thing that God's going to get mad at them. And so they're always really careful making sure they're doing this and doing that because God, we don't want to make God mad and he might grab a bucket of lightning bolts and throw it at us. No, friend, God could not possibly love you more than he loves you already. God commended, that word commended means proved. God proved his love for us in that wow, wow, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So you can understand that like this. While we are sinning, Jesus is dying. And he is doing that knowing that we were sinning. That's how much God loves you. God could not possibly love you anymore. And God chooses not to love you any less. God could not possibly love you more. And God chooses not to love you less. He's your savior in this way. But notice this. He's not just savior. The angels say he's Christ. He's Jesus Christ. Christ is not the last name of Jesus. It's a title. It's Jesus of Nazareth who is Christ, who is Messiah. So that's a way of saying he's the one that God promised was going to come. He's the one that God promised was going to deliver us from our sin. He's the one that God promised he was going to send into the world. You say, well, why did God have to send Jesus into the world? Just to give us another holiday? No. we got plenty of holidays. No, God sent Jesus into the world. Here's why. Because no matter how much you and I try, we could not get to God. No matter how good you are, no matter how religious you are, no matter how kind you are, no matter how much you help your neighbor, no matter how much you feed the hungry, no matter how many things you do for the poor, you and I, because of our sin, were separated from God and we could not get to him. And so God came to us. And how did God come to us? God came to us in the form of the second person in the Trinity, his name is Jesus. He's God wrapped in human flesh. Jesus is not just a good man. He's God. Jesus is not just a good teacher. He's God. Jesus is not just wise. He's God. Jesus is not just a prophet. He's God. Jesus is not just a wonderful preacher. He's God. Jesus is not just a miracle worker. He's God. This is what separates Jesus from everyone else in the world. No one else can claim to be God. Now, Jesus not only claims it, he demonstrated that he in fact was. And how did he demonstrate it? He demonstrated that he was God. Not in his teaching, not in his miracle working. He demonstrated that he was God. When he died on the cross, and they laid him in a grave. And three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And that is the greatest sign of all that Jesus, in fact, was who he claimed to be. He's God. He's God wrapped in human flesh. He's the Messiah. 
Christ. He's our Savior. He's Christ. But notice this. Christ, and then he says, the Lord. Do you see that? Christ, the Lord. The word Lord means authority. You, 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 heard of a, you heard of a life coach? How many have ever heard of a life coach? How many of you have a life coach? Okay. A life coach is somebody who, they come alongside of you, perhaps they know something about your profession. They come alongside of you and they, they coach you. They help you. They help you think and work through particular situations. It, it's, it's, a, it's a form of being a mentor. They give advice. They give encouragement. They, 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 they offer particular paths forward for whatever you, you may be wrestling through. But watch this. Jesus is not a life coach. Jesus is not someone who just offers you advice. Jesus is not someone who just offers you encouragement. Jesus is not someone who just comes alongside of you when you're feeling bad and helps you kind of navigate a path forward. Of course, Jesus does that. He encourages us. He counsels us. He's present with us. Of course, this is all true. But Jesus is not just a life coach. Jesus is the Lord of Lords. That's who he is. He's the supreme authority in the universe. And he is the one that someday, and I believe someday very soon, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is in fact Lord of all. He's the Lord. Is Jesus your Lord? I mean, is, is, he, is he your authority? The, the, the way you treat your family, is it under the authority of the Lord? The way you talk to your wife, the way you treat your children, the things you do with your money, how you handle your free time, what you do with your entertainments, are you saying in all of that, are you saying, Christ, Jesus, you are Lord for me. You, you dictate what I do with my body. You dictate what I do with my words. You dictate how I treat my neighbor. You dictate what I'll do with my free time. You dictate what job you, you dictate what place I'll live. Lord, you, you be the authority. You instruct me. You lead me. You guide me. You're my Lord. You are the authority for me. Is that how you treat Jesus? Or do you treat Jesus like a life coach? Somebody you talk to once a week on Sunday for about 45 minutes offers you some advice for how you should do this or what you should do with that. Or are you saying you are in fact Lord? You say, Pastor, I'd like for Jesus to be my Lord. I'd like for him to tell me exactly what I ought to do, where and when and how, what I ought to think, how I ought to use my body, how I ought to use my free time, all these things. I would love for, for Jesus to do that. How does that happen? How does Jesus become our Lord? Thank you for asking. Here's the way he, here's the way he guides us. Watch this. Ready? Right here in his word. Right here in his word. 
In his word, he tells us, these are what you ought to do, this is what you shouldn't do. In his word, he tells us, these are the kind of practices you ought to have, and these are the kind of practices you should stay away from. In his word, he sets the agenda for our lives. Are you obeying God's word? Are you obeying God's word? Are you obeying the clear teaching of God's word? Those clear areas where he says, this is what I want for you. This is what you should do. These are things you should stay away from. These are things you should mortify. These are things you should flee. Are you obedient to the word of God? I'm not asking you if you're obedient to the church. I'm asking you, are you obedient to God's word? Are you obeying him? Is he your Lord? This is interesting, isn't it? Because the angel shows up and the angel says, there's a person born. This person is where you'll find joy. The person is Jesus. He'll be your savior. He'll be your Christ. And he'll be your Lord. And the shepherds believe and they respond to Jesus in this way. I love this. Look, skip all the way down to the end. Look at verse 20. So they, they go through this incredible experience, right? They go through this incredible experience. They go find Jesus. They see Mary. They see Joseph. They see all the events that happen. And then look at verse 20. It, we almost read right over the top of it. And the shepherds returned. The shepherds returned. Do you notice this about the shepherds? Nothing about their circumstance changed. They weren't wealthier. They, they, didn't, they didn't show up to see Jesus and Mary and Joseph at the same time that the wise men showed up and say to the wise men, hey, can you, can you spot me a gold bar? They didn't say that. They, they, didn't, they didn't come back from visiting Jesus and go, oh, we got, we're going to write a book deal from this. There's no, there's no movie about their lives. You don't even know their names. They just returned. Right back to the fields that they had been watching. Life for the shepherds was pretty much the same after as it was before but what was different here's what was different they had joy now this is what's different God took what was routine God took what was mundane God took what was boring and God gave it purpose he gave it meaning he gave it significance. And this is what God is willing to do for you. Give purpose, give meaning, give, give significance to it. How? Where? And God takes our story. God takes our life. God takes us in the place that we are in this life. And he gives to us meaning. Which, which, which is a way to say this. That the things that happen to you, they're not, happen to, they're not happening to you by chance. It's not an accident. It's happening to you inside of the scope and plan of God for your life. And if you know Christ, if he is in 
fact your Messiah, if he is your Savior, if he is in fact your Lord, the authority for you, then it gives meaning and purpose to all of this. It gives meaning and purpose to it all, which is what they find, which is what the shepherds find as they return. Notice verse 20, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard, that they had seen as it was told unto them. Joy is found in the person of Jesus. Second, joy is found in praising God. Look at verse 12. This shall be a sign to you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. Mark this phrase. Praising God and saying. Now normally when we read this text we think, we imagine that the angels show up and they start singing, glory in the highest, right? It doesn't say they sang. In fact, a really fun exercise, if, you, if you're looking for a homework assignment this afternoon, there's only two places in all the Bible that talks about angels singing. There's only two. Two places in all the Bible that talks about the angels singing. See if you can find them. But I can tell you this, they don't sing very often. It doesn't say here that they sang. What it says here is they show up and they proclaim glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I, I, I think the angels look at you and me when we have the opportunity to sing and they get frustrated with us because I think they wish they could sing the songs we sing. But they can't. I wonder, do you praise God? We've talked about this before, but worship is what you say to God about God. Worship is what you say to God about God. Praise is what you say to others about God. What are you saying to others about God? Are you praising God to others? Are you praising him everywhere you go? Joy is found in praising God. Notice this, joy is found in placing our faith in God. The shepherds, they hear this message and then they respond. Look what it says, verse 15. The angels go away from them and the shepherds say one to another, let us now go even to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass. They, 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 put, they put the good news to work. Christianity requires faith. It requires faith in God. Not, not just faith in anything, faith in God. Watch, faith is only as good as the object that you place your faith in. So if you say, oh, I have, I have faith in this pulpit right here. Well, faith is only as good as the object you place it in. This right here, I mean, it looks really nice, but, I, but I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna guess if you jumped up and down on top of this thing, it's probably gonna collapse. Faith is only as good as the object it's placed in. So the message of Christianity is don't, don't just put faith in others. Don't just put faith in yourself. Don't just put faith in faith. It's not just believe and then hope for the best. No, it's put your faith in God. 
And when your faith is placed in God, listen, when your faith is placed in God, your faith is never misplaced. Put your faith in a person and that person will let you down. Put your faith in some program, that program will let you down. Put your faith in some government, the government will let you down. Put your faith in money, money will let you down. Now put your faith in God and God will never let you down. God is good for his word. Joy is found in placing your faith in God. Two more. Let me give them to you quick. Joy is found with the people of God. That's verse 16. Look at it. They came with haste. They found Mary, Joseph, and the babe lying in the manger. Being with God's people is refreshing to the spirit. This is, this is what happens with the tug of war of where we find ourselves in our lives. Because sometimes what happens is we find ourselves in difficult circumstances or difficult situation. And and what we immediately do, the natural, normal response when we're in a difficult situation is to remove ourselves from the people that God has placed in our lives. We say things like, well, I just, I need to be alone right now. Well, I, I just need, I just need to, I just need to be by myself for a little bit. I, I just don't want to be around anybody. And so we find ourselves in this tug of war of always wanting to pull back and pull back because when you engage with other people, it requires vulnerability, it requires transparency, it requires accountability. If somebody's going to walk up to you and put their arm on your shoulder and go, hey, you just don't quite look the same this morning. And immediately we're going to go, oh, well, I just pull back from that, pull back. I don't want anybody to ask me about this. And so we, we refuse to engage in the gift that God has given to us in the form of a visible local New Testament church. The way that God makes himself known in the world is the most tangible way that God makes himself known in the world is through a local New Testament church. There's something good about being with the people of God. And so when we find ourselves in difficult situation, instead of giving in to our natural response and pulling back and pulling away and not finding engagement and not finding fellowship and not finding accountability, we should push into it. Now listen, I'm not saying you come to church every morning and, and just go, hey, I got problems, who wants to help me? Okay. No, if you do that this morning, you're not going to have any friends, okay? But what I'm saying is you have to find a group of people who have spiritual mindset that you make yourself accountable to. That you make yourself accountable to. Joy is found in the people of God. Last one. Joy is found in proclaiming the good news from God. The shepherds return. And guess what? Everywhere they went, they told everybody they could about the things they saw. Everywhere they went, they told everybody they could about the things that they saw. They, they just wanted to tell people about Jesus. What about you? How many people this Christmas season will you tell about Jesus? Can I tell you a really easy way to do this? Okay, can I tell you? Very practical, very simple. This, you can put this in your pocket and you can, take, you can take it home with you this afternoon. Ready? It's very simple. 
You say, well, I'm not really comfortable about talking to people about Jesus. I don't know. I don't want to offend anybody. Well, first of all, some people need to be offended. Second, you don't have to offend. Watch, it's very simple. This is what, this is what Amanda is so good at this. She, Amanda puts me to shame with this. She's so good at this. We'll be at the restaurant. We'll, we'll be at the, you know, at, at the grocery store. We'll be checking out. And the cashier or the waitress, they'll, they'll say something like, well, happy holidays. Any, anybody ever heard that? Well, happy holidays. Amanda immediately goes, no, Merry Christmas. And you can always watch people. They just go, what? How dare you say Merry Christmas out loud? It's very simple. Very simple. Just little ways of reminding people, hey, listen, I'm not against happy holidays. Okay, happy holidays is better than grumpy holidays. Okay. But better to say, Merry Christmas. How many of you, you'll try this these next few weeks. Somebody says happy holidays to you. You'll go, hey, Merry Christmas. And if they go, don't say that. Say, bah humbug. <laughs> it's, listen, listen, here's what I'm telling you. It's very easy. It's very easy. It's very simple. Some, don't let the devil teach you or, or trick you or tell you, oh, well, if you're not up preaching some sermon, you can't do what the shepherds were doing. No, you can. You can in very little ways, very easy ways, tell people, remind people about the good news of great joy found in, not our circumstances, but found in the person of Jesus Christ. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.